Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of EAA's The Green Dot, our podcast for anybody who's in love with any aspect of aviation. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor here at EAA in the publications department, working on print and digital content and publications. Here on my left... I'm Chris Henry. I'm the EA Museum Programs Coordinator. And over there, across the table... Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. And guys, normally we have a guest on the show, but we decided that we wanted to sprinkle in a few of... Uh, of just us, you know. We had so much. Uh, we have we have fun on every episode. I don't remember ever having having a bad episode. We've always uh, we always have a blast doing this. But we were kicking around ideas, and we were talking about uh, some of the the topics we like to talk about ourselves, and remembering uh, our very first episode when it was just the three of us. So we're going to do a few of those here and there, and just sprinkle them throughout our uh, our other episodes with our illustrious guests. So we sat around, uh, we brainstormed, we focus grouped, uh, we set out uh, surveys. None of this is true, and uh, and we decided we would we would pick some low hanging fruit and today talk about some of our favorite aviation movies. And we uh, we agreed that we say aviation movies. We will also we'll talk about some of our favorite TV shows, documentaries, things like that. But we are all nerds. Anybody? Uh, nobody's disagreeing. No, no, yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah. And, I, I've uh, been uh, I've been classified as a dork before. Right. So uh, there there is a <laughs> yeah. distinction there. There is a distinction. Yeah. I have at times in my life been uh, a nerd, a geek, and a dork. Um, I I did about two weeks as a dweeb, and I I didn't care for that. <laughs> so so that one I don't recommend. But the others, you know, I'm fine with. Uh, probably geek first, then nerd, then. You know, yeah. dork is kind of a distant third, I suppose. <laughs> Try them out first, see how you like them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, we we all love this kind of thing. And uh, and so we thought we'd talk about some of our favorites. And then, of course, uh, ask uh, everybody out there listening, you know, write in, send us comments. Uh, that's sort of the reach back to us on the blog, on social media. And uh, let us know what your favorites are. And, and uh, see what sort of uh, discussion we can spark. And hopefully... Uh, if we miss your favorite, you know, let us know. If we talk about your favorite and we uh, we hate it, well, we're sorry. But those things happen. So I guess I'm already talking, so I'll kick things off and put out one of my uh, my favorites. This is no surprise to anybody who knows me, but I've got to lead out with uh, The Rocketeer. I had no idea. I know. It's such a, such a surprise. <laughs> um, for anyone out there who's not aware, and I'm not, not plugging something here, but I did do a, another podcast, did a 109-episode podcast devoted solely to The Rocketeer, analyzing the film one minute at a time. We worked with uh, uh, the lead actor, a number of other actors in the movie, writers, uh, a guy named Craig Hosking, the aerial coordinator. He's got one of the coolest jobs. Uh, setting up, you know, doing filming for aviation films. Rocketeer was one of his first. More recently, he did all the aerial stuff in Dunkirk. And if you uh, if you haven't seen Dunkirk, uh, watch it. But then watch the making of stuff, especially for the aerial sequences. They did some really really cool stuff there. They built uh, took a Yak fifty two, made it uh, look like a Spitfire. Mounted an IMAX camera, not just a GoPro, but a full-on IMAX camera about as big as a refrigeration, like an air conditioning unit you'd have in your apartment. Stuck that on the side of the Act 52, shooting into the fake Spitfire cockpit to get real footage of of the actors looking like you know they were out flying Spitfires, because uh, they used all, of course, single seat Mark One or Mark One, Mark Two Spitfires in the film. So that was very cool. But anyway, I was talking about the Rocketeer. Uh, it's a great one for. Anybody who loves vintage aviation, it's a throwback to the old sort of cliffhanger serials inspired by Commando Cody and King of the Rocket Men, all that kind of stuff. So I'll lead off with that one as my favorite. Why don't you guys jump in and you throw one well, out there. First off, I could watch the end of that with Jennifer Connelly for hours <laughs> of her inspecting the GBZ, I think, when it comes back in. And, and that's not a euphemism for something. <laughs> no, no, really. <laughs> sitting home, yeah. yeah, I was watching yeah. Jennifer Connelly inspect the GB, if yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, she, no, was, she was truly inspecting yeah, a GB. She just looks you know, period cracked right out of yeah, the 40s. It's a Disney film. This is a family-ish show. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, she, well, she has that classic look throughout the whole thing that she fits. Uh, she fits with the old airplanes. She looks, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that photograph of her on the instrument panel. Um, when I did my, uh, my private training, I, I had a photograph like that that I kept on the instrument panel of a Piper Cherokee. Um, and this was a few years before the film came out, so I wasn't totally ripping, ripping them off. Uh, and then one day I, I left the picture on the instrument oh. <laughs> panel for a weekend, and 
and got like a series of very, very inappropriate notes from a lot of other rental pilots who were thanking me. <laughs> and I had to go back to, uh, to Heidi, was her name at the time, and to apologize. I'm sorry, your picture's been around a little bit. Well, I'd have to say for the uh, Rocketeer, uh, it probably has, with the possible exception of Top Gun, um, a soundtrack that when you listen to it, it's like, yes, this is the soundtrack from an aviation movie. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The, the late, uh, great James Horner, himself a pilot, um, who'd been to Air Venture a couple of times, uh, did a beautiful, beautiful job on the score. Um, and uh, Melora Hardin, uh, some people know as Jan from The Office, sings uh, two songs on the soundtrack and, uh, and was a real sweetheart to talk to when we did the other show too, by the way. Just could not have been nicer and more excited about it. But I agree, that whole opening title, um, the music is swelling as the hangar doors are opening and we're looking out to the beautiful blue sky. That, to me, is in my head every time I open a hangar door and roll out an airplane and go to fly because it just it just says, you know, I'm optimistic and excited and, and you know, going to do, do something. And it's, the, it's a counterpoint to something like Top Gun with Danger Zone and all that stuff because, you know, there's nothing, pardon me, there's nothing sort of kick-ass about it. It's, <laughs> it's more relaxed and easy, but both of them say flying to me. Yeah, yeah. The the Rocketeer score is more sort of grace, the elegance of flight. Right. You know, that's how I uh, envisioned it. But I love everything about that movie. That whole movie just felt, you know, 1940s Art Deco everywhere. I mean, yeah. you know. And so many clever things they did. They did so much stuff in camera. There was very little model work. You know, there was some, but things like uh, when you've got the star Billy Campbell looking like he's flying a GB. It looks like he's really there in an airplane. It's because he is. He's not flying a GB, obviously, but he's in the back half of Jimmy Franklin's Waco which was mocked up and painted to look just like a GB. So when you shoot from, from the canopy aft, everything you see is, you know, is detailed properly. And you see the behind-the-scenes pictures of that. It just looks, uh, it looks crazy. But uh, it, was, it was really funny seeing, talking about Craig Hosking, aerial coordinator, doing the filming for that, and then just about every aviation scene in any movie you've seen since then. And then seeing in Dunkirk, he did something very similar to recreate the Spitfire experience. One of my favorite... Uh scenes in the movie is really not important at all but i always loved uh, not giving anything away when the gangsters and like the fbi are working together at the, the big shootout at the oh yeah <laughs> i always thought it was funny they take a moment and just kind of look at each other and they keep shooting at the, right at the germans <laughs> you right. know it's pretty good and then we see the uh, the fictitious zeppelin luxembourg come over so. yeah. yeah um so throughout this uh uh the name top gun came up and i feel like we should discuss top gun oh uh, Megan, I think Megan said it best. There's either yeah. there's two types of pilots out there: yeah. pilots that say they were inspired by Top Gun, and pilots that lie about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly right. It's funny though. It's uh, I mean I saw Top Gun. Uh, granted, this was at a time where, um, you know, it was 1980, 85, 86, and you didn't have that option. Didn't we'll see a movie in the theater and say, oh, I can't wait. You know, for four months from now, when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray, I can buy it and take it home. You know, even then, you know, VHS sales weren't really a huge thing quite yet. Those came around a bit later. So you didn't have that concept of owning the movie. But it, it, at that time, I don't know about you guys, when I went and saw it in the theater many, many times, you guys are really, well, Tom, you're way too young. And Chris, you're pretty much too yeah, young, aren't you, to no, have seen I, it in the theater? Or? I didn't see it in the theater, no. Okay. Yeah, I would have been too young to see it in the theater. Yeah, so they had theaters when I was young. <laughs> and... Uh, um, I, I don't know how many times I went and saw it, and I was so so jazzed and so pumped, and it's like all I want to do is uh, is better join the navy and fly jets, and then you know boats. That's a little scary, but <laughs> but look, let's go see the movie again. Look how cool it is. But it's funny, you know, that movie. I I will always have affection for it, and I can always watch it. You know, it comes on wherever it is in the movie. It's one of those. Yep, okay, I'm, I'm in. I can sit and watch this. It uh, there's parts of it haven't aged all that well. <laughs> So I don't know. It's it's a seventeen year old. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And now it's like I have so many questions. Well, the thing that really got me, and I was actually kind of heartbroken when I found out, and I really thought about it. But the Tomcat was famous for being a standoff weapon. It was something that could fire a missile from miles and miles and miles away, and you'd right. never actually see each other. So when you watch the movie and they're dogfighting, you're like, wait a minute. That would have never happened that way. They're World War II-style dogfighting. And uh, that is the opposite of what that airplane would be doing. You know? And my big question was always, why does this astrophysicist, Kelly McGillis, at a time when the U.S. had no female fighter pilots at all in particular, but there's no claim that she has any flying experience or anything else, why is an astrophysicist an expert on air-to-air -air <laughs> combat? 
that's like planet to planet combat. I yeah. could understand. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if we're if we're going well, after Mars and we're launching, she knew missiles. a lot about the inverted uh, fuel tanks in the MiG twenty eight. Well, you know, I think we all learned something <laughs> yeah. about the yeah. inverted fuel tanks in the MiG twenty eight from uh, from that movie. Well, the the making of is pretty interesting though, because the way that they got some of the practical effects um, in an era, you know, before CGI, right. you know, like how do you film a flaming tomcat falling out of the sky? Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there was some excellent, excellent model work. Some of that stuff was great. Um, and of course, on a on a very sad note, we lost uh, airshow great Art Scholl mm-hmm. during the making of Top Gun. They yeah. needed uh, that first person perspective view of the flat spin, which somehow magically drifted out to sea, which yeah. <laughs> is not really what a flat spin does. Yeah. Although, down. But although, with enough wind. Although, interestingly, they had to come up with a plausible scenario, uh, you know, for... Oh, okay. Has everybody here seen Top Gun? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, <laughs> Plug your ears if you hadn't, because, you know... Spoilers. Yeah. 40-year-old spoiler alert coming up. <laughs> yeah, they had to come up with some plausible way for a fatality to happen. Right. And that had actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the ejection sequence from a flat spin is not just pull the handle, it's eject the canopy first. Oh, sure. Get the canopy clear of the aircraft, because otherwise it will just follow the aircraft down. There's a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then punch. Um, so that that actually had happened, um, I guess, in the Navy at some point before, and one of the technical advisors actually suggested that it was so. the guy who is the, I don't remember his real name, but he's the Vi- he's the real Viper. The real Viper is oh. in the movie. Um, when Kelly McGillis comes to the bar and meets that older guy that she's going to go on to that mistake with uh, over Maverick, <laughs> right. that's the real Viper. That's the real deal at Top Gun. <laughs> oh, and, really? That's not just a no. That's a, that's a character. The real deal. So that's and that the... guy was. Um, the person who had somebody in his squadron that happened to the canopy. Wow. So he insisted that if you're going to write somebody out, this is an accurate way of doing it because it's actually happened in our squadron. And uh, that's why they Man. created that. So Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before, and I had no idea that was the real guy. It's funny, too, because he's – I would estimate that he is uh, – at least twice as tall as Tom Cruise. Yes, absolutely. So, <laughs> no offense to the, you know, the, the people of lesser stature out there, but, but – uh, you know, you see Tom Cruise standing on milk crates and things just off camera. But anyway, yeah, so a lot of interesting stuff in the the, the filming of that. Uh, Clay Lacey, I know, did a lot of cinematography work on it. He did for many, many movies. But Art Scholl, a performer I remember very, very fondly uh, seeing in air shows as a kid, primarily out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, flying a super chipmunk. So he had a... a, a Camera in the cockpit. I I'd heard it was a Pitts, but I can't remember for sure. Yeah, it was a Pitts doing an inverted flat spin. So doing its Excuse inverted me. flat spin. Uh, Tom's microphone just did an inverted yeah. flat spin. <laughs> so and Tom is now drifting out to sea. I don't like uh, it when you podcast, Tom, because you podcast unsafe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right, Chris. Um, anyway, it was very very sad to have lost. Uh, bring it back around. Very sad to have lost our Art Scholl during yeah. the, the making of that when he couldn't recover from that spin. Um, but. Uh, obviously a powerful film it's just it's i think it's one of those things that now it's i'm probably in megan's second camp i don't i don't like trot it out first and foremost as this is a movie that inspired me i was already very much into aviation my whole life but i'm I'm that guy who doesn't trot it out there that much uh as i said i will always watch it when i stumble across it it's just it's easy to pick on now oh yeah yeah it um tom do you have one that stands out for you well you know for me uh so a, a couple of things, you know, I I, um, I watched, uh, you know, we we had uh, we had uh, fairly basic cable when I was a kid, but we had the History Channel and we had uh, uh, some of the classic movie channels. So two of the ones for me, uh, I think I was into space before I was into airplanes, uh, and what really inspired me first was a documentary on Apollo thirteen. Oh. Um, you know, Crans uh, uh, was in it, all the astronauts were in it, uh, and that was uh, that was a, a pretty defining moment that I can that I can look back to and, and remember as, as something that got me inspired about, uh, you know, aerospace, aviation and aerospace. And uh, uh, so the movie Apollo 13, which came out when I was uh, late elementary school, early middle school, that would have that was that was really uh, um, inspiring for me. And then um, oddly enough, it was on AMC one night when I was a kid and I watched it and I fell in love with it. And I've watched it so many times since is the um, uh, Spirit of St. Louis movie. Oh, the, uh, the Jimmy Stewart. The Jimmy version? Stewart Spirit oh. of St. Louis movie. It's uh, it was amazing, and it was it was uh, yeah, it was really inspiring to me when I was a kid. Yeah, it's a it's a great great picture, and uh, it's it's funny because on paper Jimmy Stewart was terribly cast in that movie. 
Yeah. He was more than twice Lindbergh's age at the time of the flight and everything else. But uh, he he wanted it so badly. He wanted that part. He was just he was going to have that part, and he pushed and pushed and pushed uh, and, until they uh, they let him do it. And it was uh, wasn't a huge success at the time, but it's it's steadily grown in sort of appreciation over the years. And I think a movie like that is, uh, and there's other movies in this category, which we can come to in a minute, but um, a movie like that is important if it takes something that you sort of read about, like we all said, say, oh, Lindbergh, he flew across the Atlantic in 1927 and 33 and a half hours and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can rattle that off and understand that as a fact, and we look back on a piece of history like that as if it was almost a foregone conclusion that that was, we checked a box, okay, Lindbergh did this, you know, we, we acknowledge the achievement, we sort of move on. I think when you have a film that brings it to life and gives you, uh, with whatever sort of artistic license they may or may not take, when it gives you a sense of being there and tells you some idea of what it must have actually been like for Lindbergh to do a flight like that, I think anything that does that is important. Yeah, it was, it was a really inspiring story to me when I was a kid. I know I wrote a lot of uh, reports about it in, in school and things like that. Um, and it was really special for me a couple months ago when, uh, and I know you've done this too, Hal, uh, we've both gotten to fly our replica spirit of St. Oh, Louis right. here at EAA, uh, which also kind of lets you in on a couple of inaccuracies in the movie. Like there's a scene where uh, Lindbergh starts drifting off to sleep and the airplane starts circling around. Right. If that had happened in real life, the nose of that airplane would have been pointed straight at Mother Earth. Right. <laughs> well, it was funny when, uh, and we've talked about this before, but when I got to fly our spirit replica, uh, it was actually before I started EDA. I was still at Microsoft for doing research for our flight sim series, flight simulator series, excuse me. And... I remember flying with Sean Elliott and just saying, I want to just do a few little hands-off things, sort of get it sort of trimmed out straight and level, and then take hands off the controls and watch what it does. And the first time I did it, kind of started a timer and counted through five seconds. And at the end of five seconds, we're, you know, 30 degrees pitch up and 45 degree right turn climbing to the right. I said, okay, so when you let go, it climbs into the right. And so let's try it again. Then let go of it. Now, five seconds into it, now we're, you know, 40 degrees nose down and a 50 degree left bank descending, you know, way off to the left. And there was just, uh, it, it's a very, you know, inherently, uh, sort of dynamically unstable airplane. So I, I agree completely. I don't buy for a minute that Lindbergh fell asleep at anything remotely <laughs> resembling a low altitude because that airplane would have just wandered off. I mean, it would have taken him to, you know, to Uruguay or something <laughs> if he nodded off for more than a minute or two. Yeah. It will just, uh, it, it, it will, it will not stay where you put it. If, if, you're, if you're in a climb and you let go of the stick, it will continue to pitch up until it stalls. Yeah, exactly. it's, uh, yeah. So we mentioned this idea of movies, and I, I, mean, I, I hold the Spirit of St. Louis, that film, in, in very high regard, and, and I think it's, it's all but irrelevant that Jimmy Stewart is really the wrong age and you know, kind of look for Lindbergh because of, he brings such enthusiasm and earnestness to it. But there's, uh, there's other movies out there. There's different categories of aviation movies in my mind. There's... You know, there's good movies with flying in it. There's there's good flying movies, and then there's you know bad movies with good flying. Um, but uh, this idea of of them bringing things to life um, this uh, has been a controversial subject in the past. But I know Chris, you have uh, you have mentioned a perhaps slightly higher than average appreciation for the film Pearl Harbor. I do. Um, I think a lot of people uh, look. <laughs> It's not a documentary. Um, <laughs> now, defend yourself without using words like Kate or Beckinsale. Okay, i got to figure out how to do this here now. <laughs> um, but you know what? Here's my experience with Pearl, the movie Pearl Harbor. Um, went and saw it. It's a good popcorn movie. I mean, it, it's certainly like, holy cow, look at this. We're in the 40s. Isn't that cool? And there's bombing and fighters and, you know, and uh, things like that. But the thing that f really got it for me was... There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in the movie that is not historically accurate. And there's a lot of stuff in the movie that happens that is very historically accurate. But the thing is, the important part of it is I had friends that are not history people, they're not airplane people, and they came to me afterwards and they said, hey, you know the end, that thing that where they went on the Doolittle raid and bombed Tokyo, you know, was that real? Did that really happen? <laughs> And it got people, I'm like, it did. Now, here's the book, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. You know, or here's the movie, even. Um, you know, we have to understand that not all of us are airplane nerds 100%. So 
so you have to tell a story. Um, you know, the, the things I forgive that movie for is, one, it, it brought attention to a subject that, you know, for us it's a big deal, but younger generations, World War II is becoming more and more distant. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like how some of us may have viewed, like, the Civil War when we were growing up, you know, where it was like, man, it's so long ago, it's hard to envision. I think Pearl Harbor at least brought it to everybody's attention that there were people you can go home and Google, like Jimmy Doolittle, Dory Miller, um, you know, other people that are, you know, mentioned in the film. Um, you know, and I don't think that's a bad thing. They took some, they took a lot of liberties with it. Right. However, they also did use real airplanes in a lot of scenes. Well, that's you know. the thing that I was like pointing out is that there's there's a lot of CGI stuff in that movie, and and that you know that that leaves me cold pretty quickly. But the when there is real flying, I mean, number one, that movie is responsible for at least indirectly sort of driving the restoration of was it two original zeros? Yeah, two or, or maybe even three. Um, and then they brought back some of the, uh, some of the replicas built for another old favorite of mine, Tora Tora Tora, um, which has to be mentioned. Um, but so when you do see the real flying in the film, uh, some of it is gorgeous. There's there's a shot uh, of sort of looking down on I think it was one of the Val's, might be a Val or a Kate, the, the replicas BT13 replicas, just going in a circle, and it's you know it's lit at sunrise and that golden hour stuff, and it's it's sort of slowed down. It's a little bit of a pause from the mayhem and the destruction and it's just absolutely gorgeous it's beautiful beautiful footage so you know, it's like we said and chris i think you summed it up very very nicely that if it if it takes it takes something like that and it piques people's interest makes them want to learn more i'm willing to forgive an awful lot and interestingly that film you know it's called pearl harbor so it brings that subject to light but really we touch on uh, the battle of britain and the american eagle squadron at the beginning and as you said the do little raid at the end it, it touches on three pretty important aspects of world war ii and if if one person went and saw it and uh, and came out of it wanting to know more, then you know I, I I'll forgive it yeah. many many things now, while my... making fun of it and saying oh my god that's so totally <laughs> well, fake yeah, that's exactly. ridiculous. Now one of my all time favorites is one that holds pretty true, and uh, and we mentioned him earlier, Jimmy Stewart and that Strategic Air Command. Oh yeah. Um, the I mean, it, it, you know, here's we're never going to get a chance to fly in a B thirty six. Here's the best next thing um i mean just in a great movie um, jimmy stewart and june allison and, his normal wife on screen right yeah you know? exactly his, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his usual wife they did at least three pictures together yeah and uh and just everything from the opening you know the all-american boy playing baseball and then the b36 thundering over the field and and if if you have even the slightest passing interest in uh, in in that era of of aviation, Cold War, early Cold War bombers, things like that, there's just no better footage anywhere. You could just sit and just just watch that lush lush air to airs of the B-36s, and you know even if you don't, even if you just have a general appreciation for for nice cinematography, it's it's gorgeous. I love the Colonel Potter, uh, who Harry Morgan, who yeah. go on to play Colonel Potter Mash. Is her flight engineer, and in the movie he plays the old guy, and then in Mash he comes back, comes back and plays the old guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, in Dragnet, you know, he was the old guy. Right. You know, he been typecast <laughs> as the old. He was probably twenty five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> strategic Air Command, but prematurely white. When he, you know, I gotta tell you, we went to the Strategic Air Command Museum in Nebraska, and in the movie, the first time Jimmy Stewart gets in a B thirty six, he he uh, remarks that he's like, it's it's a battleship, you know, and I, you know, I just figured like, yeah, it's pretty big. Having gotten the chance to climb in a real B-36, um, I can tell you that, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're in an airplane. You actually feel like you are in some sort of battleship or something where there's tunnels and bulkheads to climb through. And, and it is just, just incredible. And that uh, the original landing gear, they eventually went to the trucks, mm -hmm. but originally they had these like singular main wheels. They've got one on display at the Air Force Museum in Dayton, so you know far better than I do, Chris. I, I don't remember how tall it is. It's, it's like 10 or 12 feet tall. Yeah, so it's ridiculous. Yeah. You walk up, this is a tire. This is one tire. And you feel like you've been miniaturized. I always and, wanted to think about what it would be like to lose a tire and something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, uh, interestingly about Strategic Air Command, it kind of actually has some parallels to Top Gun in that it had a lot of Department of Defense um, backing oh, absolutely. for the movie. And, it I mean, it's basically an hour-and-a-half recruitment ad for, right. the, uh, for the Air Force. <laughs> oh, that's you know? yeah, it, yeah. In the same way that yeah. Top Gun, I, I don't know how many people have signed up for the Navy because of oh, Top yeah. Gun. Right. You know? yeah. Well, then what's, uh, what's funny, you know, that kind of cooperation was certainly more prevalent in the, in the 50s than, uh, than maybe than it is now, although you certainly see some of it today. 
But uh, you know, there were films over the years that were that were like you think back to uh, a guy named Bernie Lay wrote a book called I Wanted Wings, and the Army Air Corps in the 30s basically commissioned a film based on that book and said, you know, let's let's throw in a love interest and a quick little bit of drama and conflict and otherwise basically make a documentary about learning to fly. Uh, see, Strategic Air Command, we saw the same thing. Of course, much, much later, Top Gun, a great ad for the Navy. And the Army didn't have quite as good luck with this when uh, when they got uh, Nicolas Cage and uh, Sean Young to do a movie I, <laughs> I love to hate myself for loving uh, called Firebirds. Um, this movie makes zero sense. This movie cruises along. Here's a whole bunch of cool helicopter stuff. It's all uh, Apaches. And the bad guy is flying a Hughes 500 or an OH-6 Loach, which, of course, is the MiG-28 of the film. Like, nobody's ever seen one of these before, <laughs> except everybody in the Army for the last 30 years. Uh, uh, when this came out in the, in the late 80s, it was a few years after Top Gun. Um, and you've got this whole sort of subplot, and Sean Young is the ex-wife. And, uh, spoiler alert, sorry, nobody's going to watch this thing. They, they reconcile... <laughs> But it's like the writers forgot to write the part where they reconcile. Yes. It's like ex-wife, we argue, we argue, we argue, and then later in the film we're at a cabin together. And it's like, well, did we miss the part where they got And you just, just don't ask too many questions. There'll be more helicopters blowing stuff up soon, and it'll be cool. Would you like some bubble gum? <laughs> <laughs> He's this cocky guy just chewing great bubble gum exactly. all the time. And, he, <laughs> and driving around in the Jeep with the, yeah. the underwear and the, the toilet paper tube or the paper towel tube tied to his eye. Oh, that's right. That's I have right. an eye dominance problem. Yeah, I'm Nick Cage. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's amazing. But some, some very cool helicopter flying. Um, Beautiful shot at the sunrise with like, the, the box art. Oh that yeah, scene in the movie oh, really yeah. pretty. You know? Yeah, it's just it's, yeah. it's beautifully it shot and well supported and a real shame. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my, my sum up for that. Quickly, as we talk about sort of variations on the Top Gun theme, uh, there's a couple movies out there. Interesting. One is French, one is Chinese. Their titles both translate to the same, which I thought was interesting. They're both called Sky Fighters in the U.S. The French one, Les Chevaliers du Ciel is um which is literally the knights of the sky but but it, it it's in english it's sky fighters so that's french top gun with mirage pilots and everything a very complicated confusing plot about stealing something at the paris air show and and hiding under an airliner but it is some of the most absolutely uh spectacular air-to-air footage you'll ever see even if like mirage uh jet fighters aren't necessarily your thing um, there's shots, uh, close-up shots, zipping through clouds, zipping over terrain that is just gorgeous. On the other end of the the, uh, the spectrum, the other Sky Fighters, the Chinese version, um, <laughs> basically it's 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 almost sort of scene for scene Top Gun, uh, but with subtitles. It's in Mandarin, and uh, it is it's basically where Top Gun was an ad for the U.S. Navy. Uh, Chinese Sky Fighters is an ad for their J-10 fighter. And um, the biggest difference is that Maverick, you know, by, by definition, by name, he's a rebel. He's going <laughs> off and doing his own thing. Well, he's the bad guy. Because, of course, you know, anybody who's not conforming is, you know, in that particular sort of rigid, structured Chinese military society uh, must not be good. Um, there's a lot of PowerPoint presentations in it <laughs> and uh, a lot of things about the, the glory of the motherland. But some cool flying, and it's, uh, it's a fun one to watch if you know and, uh, and love or... <laughs> otherwise have a strong attachment to Top Gun. <laughs> One of my favorites was it's a documentary, and it's probably, uh, I don't think a lot of kids, I mean, I'm sure there are kids, but I just can't picture a lot of kids hanging out just watching documentaries on summer break. But I'd I, think, actually, I think three of them are sitting around this table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But. I actually made my buddies watch it, though, was the Memphis Bell documentary. Oh, yeah. Um, because, was yeah. That, was that Frank Capra who did that one? Uh, Weiler. Oh, yeah. that's right. William Wyler did that one. Um, Frank Capra did the Why We Fight series. Yes, yes. Which, which also were and excellent. What I thought was really interesting about this was they were flying in the height of combat, 1942-43. And they actually flew with cameramen on board these B-17s into Germany. And, I mean, they actually lost cameramen on these missions. And you're seeing real footage. You're seeing the real stuff. And it's, it, is a, it is a propaganda piece a little bit, I mean... But at the same token, it was a very raw look at what air combat was like, um, you know, in in the B-17, especially in the early missions when you really didn't have much in the way of fighter escort. Um, 
really really neat i mean i just thought it was really cool it's colorized um you know but you're you're seeing the real stuff them fighting shooting at real fighters and and you know even just seeing the b-17s coming back with the damage that they did um it was just something else there was something really pure about watching that just knowing that man this is it you're looking at you can't fake that that's not hollywood that's that's the real stuff well, as you said, you know, it's a propaganda piece, but it's also it's a it's a propaganda piece at the time when it was. Uh, I think we can all look back and agree that that the the mission of the Eighth Air Force at that time of the war, absolutely, we should stand and salute and and support everything that that stood for, and you know, it, propaganda can be a bad word, but in this case, I it's I, I think it's certainly not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and you're, you're also talking about original footage. Um, I, I guess it's kind of an interesting uh, segue into uh, some of the movies of the earlier post-war period. I'm thinking like, okay, going back to movies that were shown on TV quite often when I was a kid, Midway. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. a few and others. Charlton Heston. Yeah. You better be careful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the... Uh, I don't know if you if if you guys had the same uh, reaction that I did, but you know when they used to use archival footage for everything <laughs> yeah. in air yes. combat, it's like oh they're going to use this clip again, yeah. right? You <laughs> you see know? The same clips. Yeah, and that movie you he know? takes off in like a Hellcat, yeah. flies a Hell Diver, and then crashes a Panther all in one flight, you know? <laughs> right? And then uh, in that that Panther crash on the carrier deck, we see that in Top Gun, you yeah. know, yeah. when we're somehow down below, it's like. Oh my gosh, he's he's crashed, but you know, even more, he flew forward thirty years in time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Apparently, that's that's not the big thing. There's also there's another airplane change. And I I keep I always think it was Heston's character flying a Dauntless, but it's been a while since I've seen Midway. But uh, we reused the same archival footage. And when I was a kid, my brother and I we would always keep score on airplane changes. <laughs> and uh, um, but in uh, in Midway, there's there is a scene where somebody is shot down in a Dauntless over the Pacific. And we cut to a scene of an HE-111 being shot down over <laughs> oh my the, 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 probably the French countryside <laughs> from one of my absolute all-time, can't-not-mention-it favorites, the Battle of Britain wow. for 1969. So um, you see that stuff just pops up, you know, <laughs> that stuff pops up all the time. Yeah, there's always Dauntless's bombing Pearl Harbor, you know, right. those old movies. And, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I remember uh, being really excited, actually, about CGI mm -hmm. in the early days, you know, late 90s when I was a kid, because I was like, oh, finally, we get to watch air combat movies where we're not just going to be rewatching the same archival footage <laughs> yeah. over and over. Well, and how'd that work out for you, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, well. Not, not well. If we're going to talk about aviation documentaries, we have to mention the, the just the greatest, The Defender. Oh, yeah. Oh. The, Defender. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the CBC documentary, even up, up in Canada, about uh, about a guy who worked for years on a close air support airplane. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that uh, wasn't that his thinking? That was it was, yeah, it's Eagle on YouTube. Humble. The whole thing is on YouTube. And uh, Bob Odegaard and uh, the gang from North Dakota um, just love it. They actually have a night at Air Venture where they all get together and shoot it on a projector and watch it out in the campground. <laughs> it's uh, it's hard to describe. <laughs> But it's worth watching, uh, beginning to end. Yeah, it is. You know? It's it's you got to go out and check it out. It's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I we want we actually want to get the defender for the museum. I think that'd be fantastic. I think that'd it'd be, be amazing. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Odegaard, and very quickly that gets me thinking about Reno and and stuff like that. So you've got to mention um, a uh, one of the, the the worst of all time. I feel bad. I've got this huge list here. We're not even going to come close. I've scratched maybe five things off, and I've got another forty to talk about. But. <laughs> Um, so I think this is going to be a multi-part series, unless people absolutely hate this episode. So <laughs> be nice. But uh, one of the one of the most remarkable aviation films I've ever seen was Thunder Over Reno. Um, through complicated reasons, I was actually at the premiere of this film in Reno, and it was the flying was fantastic, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that's that's my review. The flying was wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, it was it was actually it was very frustrating sort of sad because you could watch by the end of the film uh people were sort of in a hurry to leave so they wouldn't be there when the lights came up and feel like they had to <laughs> you know ask questions and talk to the director um it was an earnest uh it was an earnest effort but uh if you like reno air races uh you'll love the flying parts of this you'll probably want to scan through some of the rest I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> but yeah, the, the flying is yeah. beautiful. That's the, we keep coming yeah, back to that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like a it's like a blind date. She had a great personality. She, yeah, <laughs> it was really I mean really gorgeous. Super Corsair and 
yeah. you know, Mustangs flying around, everything's really right. cool. But yeah, yeah. So Tom, uh, your biggest? Uh, do you have a biggest guilty pleasure? Who biggest guilty pleasure in, in this, aviation in the genre? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah. I hate to keep going back to like. 80s and 90s jet fighter combat movies because we've covered or? this a little yeah. bit yeah but uh and hal i know this one holds a, a soft spot in your heart too is iron eagle of course oh. iron eagle if you i mean if you want to talk about soundtracks that's the most 80s uh, they get i think they had queen twice yeah. in yeah. that soundtrack road of the gypsy baby road of the gypsy and <laughs> dion and yeah oh my gosh all kinds of things like that and you know what what's th- that movie resonates with me because it uh you know, I'm, I'm the same age as Doug Masters was. You know, he's graduated from high school, so was I. Um, in the movie, if you haven't seen it, just go drop what you're doing and watch it. And what's funny is that, like, Top Gun uh, came – they were very close to each other. I think Iron Eagle actually wise. came out first. Iron Eagle came out yeah. first. Top Gun was about five months later. And of the two – Iron Eagle is no sillier now than it was when it came out, <laughs> whereas Top Gun, I think, has in some ways gotten sillier, from, in, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so Iron Eagle, in its way, holds up, but uh, you've got this kid sneaking onto the Air Force Base, getting into the simulator. It seems ridiculous. But honest to God, as that movie is in theaters, thanks to my mom, who is, uh, was a civilian employee at the USO at McCord Air Force Base and on the board of the uh, museum there, a 17-year-old Hal, same age as Doug Masters, was getting onto this base and flying the F-15 simulator. And it <laughs> felt so real. I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Who shot down where? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, round up my friends and we're going to hack into the computers and fuel this thing and we're going to go over there. Flying F-16 from yeah. the west coast of the United States yeah. to the Middle East with one fuel stop. Exactly. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, yeah. I'm wrong. <laughs> 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 <Chappie> Sinclair. <laughs> yes. And you could deal with me, Doug Masters. Yeah. <laughs> so some of you may know, Chris and I used to live together. And uh, we survived. <laughs> we did, yes. And we um, had the brilliant idea, idea one night <laughs> oh, oh, to watch an Iron Eagle marathon. Those of oh. you who may have <laughs> even seen Iron Eagle may not even know that there were uh, four of these things four, made. Four total, yes. Three sequels in then... generally descending order. <laughs> Although, here's a great bit of EAA trivia not everybody knows. You know that Tom Poberesny is in Iron Eagle 3. Really? Well, they have a lot of warbirds in it. Well, it's warbirds, the and then it's shot, uh, the opening is shot at an air show, and one of the earliest shots, you see the Eagles aerobatic team. Oh, like that's doing right. Like yeah. on takeoff. So yeah. he's, he's in it. He's not really in it, but he's... Does that mean we can show that now at the Flying Theater? I think, I think we have to show <laughs> yeah. it at the Flying Theater. But yeah, Iron Eagle uh, 3, Aces High with the... The B-model Mustang painted as a Messerschmitt. <laughs> and then and Iron Eagle 4. When we got through Iron Eagle 4, we were just limping across the finish line right. at that point. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. It was, they, they, yeah. they had a flight school, T-6s, and they discover uh, a... It was like teaching delinquent kids to fly in T-6s, yeah. which right. is always a brilliant idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, hey, having... you're in a gang. Get in this, get <laughs> they, in this you know, quarter-million-dollar <laughs> warbird. It's fine. They fly over a military installation yeah. that's hiding chemicals and have right. to strafe it. And, and they brought... <laughs> Because they well, teach kids yeah. to fly with machine guns a, on airplanes. A character yeah. died in one earlier movie, <laughs> yeah. and they brought him back <laughs> yeah. with no explanation. Right. He's you know? resurrected. Yeah. Oh, you weren't yeah. dead. You were just away. He was just out. He was yeah. really, ejected. Yeah, so. top top quality filmmaking right there. But always the flying <laughs> is fun. That was all shot up in uh, shot up in Canada. I think it was around Brampton yeah. or Hamilton, one of those places. But they used Canadian Harvards for the T sixes. And I gotta say though, Chappie Sinclair is awesome. Like, oh yeah, that that dude yeah. is just. You so Chris, you you had a um, I talked a, to him. A, yeah, you had yeah. A, you had a podcast uh, yeah. before your EAA days, and mm-hmm. you you had um, uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. Lewis, on uh, one of your. We talked to Lewis Gossett Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, really really cool guy. Still working on trying to get him here. That so. would be very very cool. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. I but, like Tom said. I just always have a, a, a deep affection <laughs> for that movie, and that's definitely one that that I can make fun of it, but I don't let other people make fun of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sequel is so. totally fair game. But the first one. No, man, it was real. I was there. I lived it. <laughs> and I, lo- I love when you get to hear actors who actually cared about, you know, what it was they were making. You know, like we got, you know, if, if we have time, I'll, I'll tell the story about From the Earth to the Moon real quick. Sure. Um, but we got a chance to talk with Mark Harmon, who was in From the Earth to the Moon. And he was adamant that, you know, he had a story to tell about why he played Wally Shira. And From the Earth to the Moon was an HBO miniseries. It's a really great miniseries if you get a chance to uh, – to see if you have a love of the space program, it really kind of tells you about all the Apollo missions. And um, he said, you know, I was in a hotel lobby with my dad checking into a hotel and 
I, you know, these guys were like gods to me. I followed them all over the news. And he says, I'm a little kid sitting with my dad and guy Corvette pulls under the roof of the hotel and guy gets out and gets in line behind us to check in. And I'm like, Oh man, I think it's one of the astronauts, you know? And he said, uh, I turned around trying to just sneak a look at his name tag. And, uh, he said, the guy caught me and he just kind of stood out his hand and he says, Hey, uh, I'm Wally Shira. And he says, and he took a few minutes to actually sort of sit down, talk with me and, uh, about the space program. I never forgot that. So fast forward all these years, we're making that mini series. And he's like, I call Tom Hanks. I'm like, I've got to play Wally Shira. And he's like, well, you know, we're trying to get guys that look like Wally. And, and he said, well, I told this story. And Tom Hanks was like, okay, you're Wally Shira. You know? <laughs> so, and, uh, that's that, awesome. yeah, it's how, I mean, but he cared so much that talking to him, like, you know, that that's, I don't know how many years ago uh, from the earth to the moon was now, but it was he, early nineties, I think. Yeah, I think something right. like that it was right around the time of Apollo 13. Cause it was the yeah. same set. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, um, but he was saying that, you know, um, I mean, he's still reading off, like he was still naming equipment and, uh, talking about how after a few days on set, you were like, yeah, I think I can fly this thing, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I think they, I, I watched the making of for that miniseries and, uh, Tom Hanks is a massive space nut. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like him playing, uh, uh, in, a, in Apollo 13, um, that was, you know, absolutely a, uh, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a role that he wanted. He wore uh, Jim Lovell's ring. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and, uh. <laughs> And, and they would they would say in the in the making of thing that we just need to send him up there so we'll shut up about <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. His wife said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was his wife. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, that's perfect. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I and, and and you know I do really like the uh, the miniseries format yeah. um, that Earth to Moon has just for its archival value. You know, yeah. you, you can only tell so much in an hour and a half versus right. ten hours. So, yeah. well, and that's that uh, a lot of that same crew has been working quietly, but for quite some time on uh, on a series that's at least tentatively called the Mighty Eighth. Yeah, about that's the Eighth right. Air Force. So at some point, we look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I know we're we're going a bit long, and we have barely scratch the surface. I can't believe how much is left unsaid. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need a part two. Yeah, we definitely need a part two through ten. Um, but uh, speaking quickly of the miniseries, uh, miniseries format, um, maybe we can go a quick, if, if you guys have, as I do, maybe a more obscure recommendation. Like, you probably haven't seen this, but you really should. So you guys think on that for a minute. For me, there's a few-way tie, but in the miniseries world, it would be a, a, a British film call, or a British series called Piece of Cake. And it was, uh, uh, it takes place uh, during sort of the phony war right leading up to the Battle of Britain. And uh, right out of the gate, if you know your history, you're expecting hurricanes, you get spitfires. And you have to get over that very quickly. Um, everything beyond that, sort of the uniforms, the tone, the history, the accuracy, and then just the beauty of the cinematography. Ray Hanna flying a spitfire down this tree-lined river under a bridge is a scene you may have seen. It was reused in other movies, and it shows up on YouTube all the time. Um, but the uh, the flying in it is absolutely spectacular, and it is just an absolutely wonderful and somewhat unflinching look at uh, at life in the RAF uh, at that point. Um, so that would be my, you probably haven't seen this, but you should, uh, mini-series recommendation. Super quickly, I would say the same for a TV series, uh, Steve Canyon. Um, people know that as a comic strip. There was a great, uh, great TV series. They did three seasons. They've all been absolutely beautifully remastered now. You can get them on DVD if you go hunt for them a little bit. And if you like anything about Cold War U.S. Air Force aviation, you've got this square-jawed hero, Steve Canyon, who when he's not trying to sell you Chesterfield cigarettes, he is on temporary duty flying every cool thing the Air Force has. And, uh, and the footage is, is better than any documentary stuff of the day. And very, very little reused stock footage, a lot of stuff that was shot with full cooperation. So, so Chris, any uh, last-minute obscure recommendations for you? So one is obscure and one is very not obscure. However, um, I'll explain that in a second. But um, I think that the, with, the, with the Mighty Eighth coming out and being in, in the works – I really see a lot of value in going back and watching 12 O'Clock High. Oh, yes. Um, Absolutely. It's not obscure to us. However, younger generations may not have seen this movie. Right. It's really worth seeing. It talks a lot about command. talks a lot about what it was like in some of those early missions in B-17 units. Um, really, really great acting. I mean, uh, good B-17 footage. The one that's more well-known that I actually encourage people to watch just because of stuff I've found out through my own research and just bear with me, but uh, it's something that's very easily accessible because it's on a lot, but MASH. Uh, 
Uh, didn't realize this, but MASH was not directly a aviation film, but of course there's a lot of helicopter stuff in it. True. Um, but MASH was actually written off of uh, the, the storylines for the scripts came from about 80% of what they got came from interviews with actual MASH veterans. So when you see those storylines and you're seeing the show, um, here's something that, yeah, you know, it's not a documentary uh, by any means, but the basis from the show actually came in a lot of parts from real interviews, um, from real MASH veterans. We actually had to sit down, we got to sit down to talk with a real MASH helicopter pilot who talked to the authentic feel of that TV show that, it, you know, it certainly felt really authentic. But there's one that's just, it's it's out there, it's on TV. I don't know what channel it's on, but it's very easy to watch. But it holds up, too, over the years. It's still it's still interesting well, and you're guaranteed some helicopter flying in pretty much every episode mm-hmm. which was which, you know vitally important for me as a kid watching it uh, some of it when it was in the first run uh and then you know little things like uh five o'clock charlie yeah and, yeah exactly <laughs> you know funny. you would occasionally get some other aviation content kind of it's not a hardcore aviation movie but going along the lines we're talking about miniseries um i i think it, it it's an interesting show that it keeps getting more interesting as the older it gets is what i've seen with pickup right yeah, definitely. Um, I guess uh, for me, let's see. Trying to trying to think of obscure movies. Um, it's been probably literally since I've been in elementary school since I've seen it. But Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines. I remember. Oh, yes. I remember watching yeah. that as uh, you know, like for like a zany <laughs> movie that you know a kid would enjoy. Uh, <laughs> Very much in the vein of stuff like It's a Mad 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 World or however many Mads there were. It was. You know, this this sort of Edwardian farce that came out in the 60s. But what a lot of people don't realize is they built a tremendous number of actual flyable aircraft uh, for the film. And a few of those replicas still survive today. Some of them fly at, uh, I believe, are flying at Shuttleworth in the U.K., wow. things like that. And, uh, and they are, you know, amazing flying contraptions, but, uh, but you know, reasonably accurate for a, for a film that has that sort of broad British farce feel to it yeah so that's a that's a great choice how we definitely need a part two to this. We, we definitely do there's <laughs> there's so much more i could do another uh, another two hours on this i can't believe we've gone this whole thing and if we haven't hit great waldo pepper blue thunder airwolf you know airwolf uh <laughs> and uh um okay can i have one more weird yeah, obscure go. recommendation so i got one more too Bill. okay we're almost done. Ty is going to start rolling in the yeah. music yeah, pretty soon. Exactly, it's going to just coming over us, and we're going to get the hook. But uh, we all know Airwolf. Uh, three really fun seasons, then a fourth uh, when they were so low budget they couldn't afford a helicopter anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I have all four seasons, and, and you've, if you watch the first three seasons, you've got to watch season four. They, it was just a deal they did, so they have enough episodes to go into syndication. And uh, um, but what people don't realize is that so Airwolf was at least broad strokes, kind of inspired by the movie Blue Thunder, which is one of my favorites uh, as well. Um, occasionally a guilty pleasure, but really just mostly a pleasure. And uh, what people don't realize, though, is that the, the owners of the IP behind Blue Thunder saw the success that Airwolf was having and said, well, wait a minute, you know, they're kind of ripping us off. We'll do our own show. So they actually did, if I remember right, it was a total of 11 episodes and eight of them aired or something <laughs> short like that, uh, starring Dana Carvey before Saturday Night Live and uh, um, Bubba Smith and... Was it Dick Butkus? Yeah, isn't it Dick Butkus? Yeah. It's like in a van or something. Yeah, there's two yeah. guys in a van. It's comic <laughs> relief. And uh, um, so it's a it's a proper Blue Thunder TV series with the, with the helicopter, that modified aerospatial uh, uh, helicopter from the film. And it's uh, every episode basically has Blue Thunder shooting down something interesting, whether it's a very easy, uh, <laughs> a bear cat. There's a, there's a, group of bank robbers who use a bear cat an f8f bear cat <laughs> that's and my just kind of bank robber. strafe the bank and they're, so they're shooting up the street and then you know then the van comes in there they take all the money and the bear cat shoots up the police cars and then blue thunder spoiler alert eventually shoots down the bear cat at the end but every episode has them shooting down something else fascinating <laughs> and uh so there's tons and tons of real flying and and as, as i joked once in an online review Thank goodness they spent all that, uh, all the money they should have spent on writing scripts. They spent on Avgas. Um, so lots of fun flying in that. It's a it's a quick watch. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievably dumb, but it's tons of fun to watch. So it's it's, uh, it's worth a look. One of my uh, my last one, I swear, <laughs> is um, and it's something that I think probably a lot of people watched back in the day. But I loved Wings, the TV oh, sure. show with the charter airline and. I worked for uh, I worked at Prospect Aviation at the time, little air, airline back at Beaver Falls, and uh, 
I just loved that, you know, the whole, the twin Cessnas and the little Nantucket airport and, yeah, um, and, uh, was it Crystal Bernard? Was that her name? That didn't hurt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I certainly loved her. Tim Daly was great. Oh, yeah. He's gone on to things like Madam Secretary these yeah. days. I always love seeing him. Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub yeah. you know, before Monk, yeah. all that yeah. good stuff. It was, like, it was just so, a fun show. It was like Cheers at an airport, I think somebody said. Yeah, so. yeah it was. And it's, that's one that has not been in syndication really much, no. if at all. No. It's not one you just stumble across and say, I remember this, and you watch three or four episodes. So you kind of yeah. have to hunt for it. I bought the disc. So. I own the set. So. Excellent. Uh, so, Tom, any, uh, any last words? Where we, uh, well, a, you, you all got, guys got, a, got an extra one, so I'll just do one more. Um, and uh, it, it's a little bit more of a serious note for me, but um, I, I, talking about miniseries, it's only remotely related to aviation, and so far as they fly in planes occasionally is Band of Brothers. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're talking about war movies. We're talking about stuff that has archival value. I think every American should watch that um, series. Here, here. My girlfriend and I went to Holland and Belgium a couple months ago, and we, we well, I we watched it. She watched it for the first time as preparation for that trip, and then we visited some of the sites. Uh, walking into the Bojack Forest in, uh, near Bastogne and, and actually seeing the foxholes that are still there, uh, that you know that they were shelled in there, was uh, was really powerful. Coolest Skype phone call I ever received, Tom. Yeah, that's right. I'm I call. I, I FaceTimed you from the forest. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> this is a message from history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, traveling through time. Well, that's excellent. Well, guys, this. Uh, we weren't sure, I think, when we started this. I made these this extensive notes, and we were looking at each other saying, can we really fill, you know, 25 <laughs> minutes of stuff? And now we've gone, what, 45, 50? Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah no. More. Producer Ty um, pulled out the last of his hair, and now he's just uh, he's just making... <laughs> He's just making the I give up sign. You know, the cut <laughs> sign was 20 minutes ago. But anyway, um, I have certainly had fun. Uh, yeah. I, think, uh, I think you guys had fun, too. Uh, I hope you had fun listening. Uh, let us know. Uh, when you see this post uh, on our blog or you see it shared on social media, let us know what your favorites are. Uh, do let us know if you'd like us to do, uh, you know, part two, maybe a part three, because there's plenty more we can talk about. We can nerd out about this stuff clearly uh, for as much time as you'll give us. But with that, uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks, as always, for the feedback. We really appreciate uh, people that have uh, come back to us and said nice things, and we've got some great constructive feedback uh, from folks as well. Uh, the reviews on iTunes mean the world to us, so please keep those coming. And with that, we look forward to talking the next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot. <laughs>